Hey there, I'm Everett. I'm Baron. And welcome to Bro, Bro Have, Have You Seen? Hey, bro. Hey, bro. How's it going? Pretty good. Yep. Here we are again. Another week, another, <laughs> another show. Week, another week, another episode. Another movie. Yep. Um, how's your movie week been? This time it was pretty good. Uh, you know, I finished up school, so now I'm starting to work full time, so my free time yeah. hours are yeah highly diminished. Uh, but I've been trying very hard to keep up on movies and, you know, trying to still get some entertainment in there. Uh, For sure. Each time that I have a chance so yeah I just started school like we talked about last week kind of so uh, I've been starting school and my movie watching has sort of gone down but it's picking back up again but also mm-hmm. been working on some other hobbies and things so it's yeah. been good nice it's been really nice it's yeah. been a good week little little inside baseball both of us are pretty big into construction stuff and building and making things and yeah uh last night we drove two hours to pick up a craigslist table saw yeah, it's pretty sweet. Pretty excited about that. And the guy threw in a, you know, tabletop bandsaw as well for free. So that was really nice. And really you're, you're getting to work and tinkering with that and fixing it up. Yeah. So takes up a lot of your time now, I'm guessing. True. But uh, yeah, so as far as movies go, it's been pretty good. Um, been watching some stuff that we'll discuss at the end, like always. Yep. And what else has been entertaining us. But uh, yeah, let's kind of dive right into our movie of the week. Mm-hmm. So last month, we talked at length about Toy Story, the introductory film from computer animation's flagship studio, Pixar. This week, a continuation of that premise, we discuss a film co-directed by Toy Story's John Lasseter that succeeded Toy Story's critical hit with a follow-up so big, it was as small as an ant. Oh. This week is obviously a bug's life, Bro, what did you think of this 1998 film, and how does it compare to its predecessor? Sweet. Yeah, so I had seen this one before, because later there's some of the ones that I've never seen. So I'd seen Toy Story a lot. I've seen this one before recently. So uh, upon rewatch, some of the same feelings. I, I really like it. It's it's great. Um, don't like it as much as Toy Story. Uh, I guess we can put that out there right now. Our ranking so far of my the Pixar project would be Toy Story number one and A Bug's Life two, but it's still like uh, compared to any other movie. We always talk like Pixar's maybe worst movies or everyone else's best. So uh, this one's still quite an achievement in animation, and it's hilarious. It's a good story. Um, yeah, it's I liked it a lot. Cool, nice. Yeah, um, I. I'm not going to lie, like, I went into this movie kind of dreading it, you know, putting it off till the last minute, and because I remember recently watching it, uh, it was another one of those that kind of grew up on as a kid, Mm -hmm. and I knew about it for a long time, but uh, we rewatched it probably last year, and I just wasn't that impressed with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Didn't think the story was very good, didn't think the animation was very good, and overall, just kind of found it to be, if not my least favorite Pixar of all the ones I've seen, then definitely down at the bottom rung. Uh, and so going back on, on this time, you know, kind of 
almost forcing ourselves to watch it, yeah. I guess, uh, in a way. And yeah, just kind of dreading it a little bit. But I honestly came out of this a little bit higher on the movie than, uh, you know, a couple days ago. Um, if, if you would have asked me recently, like, what do you think about Bugs Life? I would have been like, eh, it's yeah. fine, but I don't like it. Uh, but this time, like, I think it's pretty solid. I think there's a lot to it that's worthwhile. And obviously there's some falters here and there along the way, but uh, we can talk about that a little bit more as we go. Um, but I definitely, at least in comparison, comparing it to Toy Story, um, it has the same level of charm, I guess. It has the same sort of vitality that Toy Story brought. Um, and you can tell that a lot of things they carried over right to this movie from Toy Story, including, yeah. I didn't know, I found out this at the credits, that Randy Newman uh, did all the music as well. Yeah, it sounded very, very similar. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned that it was a really funny movie. Uh, what did you think about the humor of this? Did it mostly work for you? Did everything work? With this, you know, What do you think? Yeah. Um, uh, similar to Toy Story, I think my favorite thing about this one was just how smart the writing is of of using the world like it just really the world is so well crafted all the like uh, i guess i could just use an example i don't really know how to articulate this but well like during the circus the they use fireflies as like spotlights with cans and then they put like a blue sucker over to like change the light like just using things that would be around and make sense to fit into this world and like that adds a lot to the comedy and that's like a big aspect of the comedy is like oh that's super funny and clever how they use these things and there's also just like tons of great characters that are have super funny lines and are good comedic reliefs to some of the more serious moments so yeah, um, what do you think about any specific humorous moments or characters? Um, yeah, uh, I think it was pretty funny in a lot of moments. Uh, there were times when I definitely thought that that cleverness really came through. The cleverness that we saw, again, in Toy Story, um, where they, they really know how to use the world and the elements of that world and bring in, you know, a modern human world perspective into a lot of these and try and you know find parallels between yeah. uh, what can we what can we bring from our world and put it into the bug world and there's a lot of moments like that you know when when flick gets to the bug city and it looks like times square yeah yeah and there's the homeless guy who you know there was his sign it's kind of a super dark joke but he, his sign says wings pulled off by a kid or something yeah and like He's, he's rubbing his legs together because he's a cricket and that's how they make their chirping sound. And it's just like stuff like that, like details about bugs that you can tell that the production team did a lot of research and then they found ways to relate it to like our world and our life. Exactly. So that, you know, we can feel at home in the world that's like really kind of strange to us. Mm -hmm. That's what's cool. Yeah, is similar to Toy Story, how we can be transported into like this micro world that we would never experience. And since we're down in the level of the ants or the toys, it's yeah, like again, something we would never experience otherwise. And mm -hmm. so it, it gives it its own unique twist. Like, I mean, maybe this story is super familiar to 
other movies like Seven Samurai or, mm. I mean, and then the iterations from there into, like, Western movies. But um, just the way that you can be transported into, like, this bugs world and into the life of these bugs is an interesting take on some of these uh, traditional stories. Yeah, I actually really liked the Western elements to it. Even the score felt like mm. a Western. Uh, you know, it had that sort of trumpet theme, like the big band sort of orchestra, symphony style. I don't really know exactly, but yeah. it, it felt very much like, you know, we're riding horses through the through the American West. You know, that's what it felt like to me with the music. And uh, I think that worked really well to the story. And, you know, how Flick is going out on an adventure. He's seeking out assistance with a big challenge, you know, like Seven Samurai. He enlists the help of uh, other people who may or may not have more skills. Um, that's That was kind of an interesting, I guess, subversion from uh, the Seven Samurai story, I suppose is that, I mean, obviously the samurai in that movie are highly skilled. Yeah. They're smart, and they are able to really bring their skills to the town. And, you know, these are just circus performer bugs. I, I, I noticed that it had an element of um, Three Amigos to it. Mm. You know, how these, like, performers, they go to this ant colony thinking they're going to perform an act and then they realize that it's just uh that it's actually real and that was kind of a humorous twist there but uh yeah um were there any like lines or characters in particular that stood out to you as particularly humorous or maybe just kind of helped bring you into the world a little better yeah, uh, it's got a great ensemble of fun characters. Uh, I mean, again, similar to Toy Story, we get all these different people and well, different bugs, I guess, and uh, they all have their own little quirks. And again, like the writing, they use the type of bug very smart. To like, like for instance, like the stick bug, like all the humor and writing for that bug is really funny. Like, oh, I, I always just use as a broomstick or a, like a sword or whatever. Like, I'm never, I never get a real part. And like just little things like that where each character gets their own little moment to shine. Um, and one of my favorite characters that's just super humorous is Heimlich. Uh, he always just like, he's got like that German, like yeah. European accent is just like super funny, just super different than everyone else, super like foreign. And yeah, he, and uh, again, like comedic relief, when times are serious, like when the bird is coming down and he's like, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. Like, that's yeah. so funny. I crack up every yeah. time. My vings! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of uh, one of those, like, it totally wasn't necessary to any, like, caterpillars aren't necessarily German. Yeah. Or, you know, they just decided to name him Heimlich and have him this comedic relief where he's got this thick German accent that's probably super fake. Yeah. You know, probably some American guy voicing Heimlich, but... It was pretty funny. Uh, there were moments for me, at least, some certain lines that uh, felt pretty cliche. Not so much on the humor side. I mean, there were jokes that I didn't laugh at that you could tell maybe it was meant for kids mm -hmm. or maybe just was meant to be funny and like just didn't land with me. Um, but then in the more dramatic moments, like the, there's a scene between Flick and Ada, the princess, mm -hmm. 
and she says them some of the most cliche lines that we've heard a thousand times yep. in movies before. And I won't necessarily spoil it, even though you know a lot of people have seen Bugs Life at this point. Um, still, it's it, I was just rolling my eyes super far back just uh, listening to those lines and. You know, there were moments like that in the movie. I had moments where I stepped back and I thought, man, how, let's just see how many uh, human things we can get these bugs to do. Like, uh, there's a scene with the ladybug guy who is playing cards and, you know, the little ant says, read him and weep, you know, just mm-hmm. like little moments like that that were pretty corny. Yeah, and it was intercut in like a random, like it doesn't make any sense to have that scene. Yeah, I guess it's showing like the bonding between these circus bugs and the ants or something. But <laughs> yeah, like moments like that just didn't super work for me, but I can get if if the kids like it or whatever cuz it is kind of directed towards that sort of audience. For sure. Um, and as far as characters, I did really like the ladybug character. I think if I had to pick my favorite one, I don't know if your favorite would be Heimlich, but I think Dot is probably my favorite. Mm. Uh, she's just really kind of adorable, lovable. You know, she's she's funny, and you can really sympathize with her just because, like, she's the only one that recognizes Flick's talent at first and the only one who kind of is in awe by what he's able to do. And then finally, by the end of the movie, obviously, you know, they succeed in their missions, and Flick is praised as you know, an innovator and, you know, kind of a leader in that way. True. But uh, if Heimlich's not your favorite, which it's fine if he is, uh, do you have another favorite or do you just want to brag about Heimlich? Probably stick with Heimlich. Yeah, he's a good one. Sweet. He's he's a solid pick uh, for all the reasons I mentioned earlier. Just that comedic relief. He's got some of the funniest lines in the movie. Cool. Yeah, that's fair enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And as we kind of move forward a little bit, uh, from these characters, which many of them are really great. Of course, we get John Ratzenberger voicing P.T. Yeah. Flea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of a P.T. Barnum stand-in, I guess. Circus uh, conductor. And um, a lot of uh, typical, maybe archetypal kind of uh, characters. You know, there's, there's the guy who's... Um, you know, has a lot of talent, but isn't quite recognized in his society. You have the, you know, young leader who's trying to get a a grip on the ropes. And, you know, then obviously there's these big fearsome bugs that uh, are a little bit ironic in the way that they're either pretty skittish or Mm. they're just lovable teddy bear kind of characters like Brad Garrett. He plays, uh, he voices Dim, the big the i don't know what the bug is called but it's the biggest one he's got the giant wings oh, yeah. and he sounds like a helicopter when he flies mm-hmm. around uh he's a pretty famous kind of voice actor comedic actor from like everybody loves raymond and stuff but uh yeah like even him uh he he turns out to be pretty kind and his name's dim you know he's pretty dim-witted honestly like he doesn't say much and i was kind of wondering why they would you know, hire this guy to voice that character if he doesn't really have any lines. Because he was pretty big at the time. He's been doing voice work since, like, the 80s. But, you know, a couple years before that was when Everybody Loves Raymond started. And so, you know, he was a pretty big deal at the time. I was just kind of wondering. Um, but anyway, uh, what other thoughts did you maybe have about other characters in general? I liked the 
brother of the main grasshopper. So the main grasshopper was voiced by Kevin Spacey, and that's Hopper, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of a funny name for a grasshopper, of course. Yeah. But uh, his brother, um, I think it's Molt. Uh, maybe not. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's really funny. And I liked how he was the one that was the good one out of all the bad grasshoppers. Just kind of wanted to do the right thing at times and provided some, you know, good human nature into the bad group of biker grasshoppers. So Yeah, I got a little bit of a Hell's Angels vibe from, yeah. from them. The way that their wings, similar to Dim, represent, you know, some human automobiles uh, in the term of motorcycles. But, yeah, cool. Um, Did you notice any themes throughout the movie? Were there any major themes that you noticed that the film was dealing with? Yeah, there's the, like, theme of change uh, within the ant colony. How, like, the new uh, prince, Princess Ada is, like, up and coming. And she's kind of nervous about, you know, everything. And uh, Flick is trying to make things more efficient and run smoother and he's the one that you know spoiler ends up realizing that you know we can overpower these grasshoppers like we're not the ones we they don't need we don't need them they're the ones that need us right and so that whole kind of idea of change and also of like oppression and you know standing up for the one the small voice and everything the underdog it's very much underdog movie yeah and yes yeah, stuff like that Nice. Yeah, those are definitely good themes I noticed as well. Um, and I liked... So I recently watched Snowpiercer the other day. Yeah. Uh, which I'll probably talk a little bit more at length at the end. But um, I got a lot of similar themes coming through from this film about class. And, you know, Flick is kind of that Chris Evans type character. He's the leader of mm-hmm. the lower class. And, you know, you find out that you know the upper class their excuse is we are taking care of the younger class of the younger the lower Mm. class but really they're benefiting from the lower class and they're kind of standing on the shoulders um in an oppressive way of that lower class and i noticed that with the grasshoppers kind of like you mentioned um and then definitely another big theme that i found was kind of just belief um, like belief in yourself, belief, uh, the power of belief, I think is, is kind of the theme there. Um, they have a very ambitious, uh, endeavor to undergo in order to, you know, take down these grasshoppers. And for a while, everything's going really smoothly because they have that courage, they have that belief, but once the outer shell cracks and everybody finds out, you know, maybe how this plan came to be, they're super doubtful and then they become afraid and then it stops working. Yeah. Um, and it's not until they start believing in themselves again and start, you know, they get that vigor back into their system, that that's when they're able to finally defeat their enemies. So. Yeah, there's a bunch of good moments of teamwork and team you know they have to all work together of course to follow through with these plans and uh, beat off the grasshoppers like they can't do it by the ant colony couldn't do it by themselves even when they got these you know other warrior bugs to come in 
they still had to work together and they had to work not only together as a colony but together with those other bugs in the end and and also like on the note of belief there's dot when she is going to see flick like she just dives off that cliff Mm -hmm. and kind of has that faith and belief that her wings will save her from dying like that was that big like jumping off the cliff moment taking those first steps like pretty on the nose almost there yeah talk about leap of faith yeah yeah leap of faith yeah (laughs) but yeah and and with belief you know as well we talk a lot about princess ada and how she's you know really worried she's got this big burden placed on her shoulders and she doesn't know if she's ready um but in the end you know she realizes that she can do it you know that she can lead these people as the queen and so um that worked uh, with that theme as well as Flick, who, you know, maybe he starts to doubt himself, um, but it's really his community that needs to believe in him and trust him and accept him. You know, when it's when they s- try to get in his way and control him that he, you know, freaks out and messes up and then he ruins things, you know, and then they blame him. But uh, when they start accepting his ideas and listening to him and valuing him, then they can start progressing. Um, and I really liked that as well. Um, cool. Yeah. yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, is there any kind of technical aspects? How did you feel like the animation held up compared mm. to Toy Story? Did yeah. Did it get better? Did it get worse uh, maybe? Stay the same? It's It's around the same quality, I would say, for me. Like... And I watched these both on Disney Plus, so there's no like weird different formatting uh, there. But I think, of course, it's a much more ambitious animation. Uh, doing the crowds of ants, I know that was a big technical challenge and quite quite the achievement. And the use of water, like that's like a pretty well known thing in animation, is water and like fur and hair, are, like some of the hardest things to do. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they have the water droplets that they animated and then the rain, all those type of things were pretty impressive. It's still a little dated, I would say, in animation, uh, especially compared to stuff nowadays, but I think it holds up pretty well. Some of the stuff's kind of cheesy, like the little raspberry I noticed was like, it just looks off, it looks fake. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it, it just like, even though you're in this world, it doesn't feel quite real. I mean, you could have... A movie that's much more I mean even like over the hedge you know is it feels like that's a real neighborhood it feels like that could be a real forest like it feels a lot more tangible I guess than mm-hmm. this feels a little bit more cartoony and almost like Toy Story plasticky yeah so yeah I was gonna mention that the plastic nature mm-hmm. of it because we talked about how they decided to go with toys because they are supposed to look plastic yeah. and so the CG doesn't look bad um, and I think they got around some of those issues as well doing bugs where, like you said, there's no fur, there's no, uh, there's not a lot of moving parts and most of their bodies look pretty shiny and, right. you know, um, but yeah, there were some moments that I definitely thought were pretty bad. Uh, there's a slug who eats some food with salt and his mouth is like bubbling oh, yeah. and that like looked really kind of uncanny in a way. Um, can't remember some of the other things but yeah i think i don't know there's ways that this is better than toy story but i think there are ways that it's not quite as good and i think some of it's due in part to 
the ambition that you talked about. Uh, I would, I would probably counter your point with the water that I think they skirted that problem as well by making the droplets like these balls. Yeah, they're kind of it's kind of a sphere, so it doesn't really have the properties of water. Yeah, like they never really it. had like rushing like they could yeah. have had rushing water down those like canals, yeah. but I mean instead they just had the droplets like splash and have like a splatter effect. Yeah, which did kind of look weird, but again, like I think it's they're they're pushing. What right. they can do. At it's the time, true. So. And it works for the world mm-hmm. um, because they are so small that the surface tension of water, it does make droplets like they're, they're spherical. And so I just remembered a episode of Drake and Josh where he <laughs> yeah. gets the game sphere. And yeah. It's spherical. Anyway. So <laughs> yeah, the water I think was okay. Um, but I can see the gears turning in, you know, John Lasseter and, um, Who's the other guy that directed this? Andrew Stanton. Andrew think, Stanton yeah. and the other leaders of Pixar. You can see the gears turning with, you know, let's try and design a movie that we can make look like as best as possible. Right. While these other goals that we have, like obviously Pixar is well known for telling good stories and having, you know, the story and the character be the primary focus rather than, I don't know, gimmicks or laughs or anything you know surface level they really try and make the story drive the movie and so like how do we balance that priority with not only making the animation look good but kind of furthering our technology and our abilities and so you can see how maybe bugs was a good logical logistical choice uh in that respect but also maybe they had that story they wanted to tell uh that they used bugs for so i like that Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, and I guess, like, voice acting-wise, uh, maybe not as many uh, standout performances as Toy Story, but we still get a lot of good people. We mentioned Dennis Hopper as... Um, <laughs> you mean... My Kev- bad. Kevin, Kevin Spacey. Spacey as Hopper. Right. <laughs> that was weird. They should have had Dennis Hopper, maybe. <laughs> He's got a pretty menacing voice, too. And uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Seinfeld fame. Yeah. I didn't know that was her as I liked that. That's one of the that's one of the few times that Pixar has had uh a pretty major role played by the same actor in two different movies. We just barely had Onward, where she plays the mother of those two main characters. And so she's maybe not as main of a character as Ada is in this movie, but still pretty up there. And it's really interesting. Pixar They've never really recycled voice actors before. I mean, aside from John Ratzenberger, like we said, who's in every Pixar movie in one way or another, um, she, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is like a big name and a big, you know... Especially in the 90s, like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, you know, Pixar and Disney, they always get, you know, the top A-list. But the the guy who plays Flick... What is his name? Dave Foley. Dave Foley. Yeah, I honestly don't think I've ever seen anything he's been in. I've never really heard of him. Yeah, me neither. He's done a couple other uh, with uh, Cars and Monsters University, I guess. Hmm. Apparently he's in Sky High, so. Oh, nice. Interesting. I like Sky High. (laughs) That's one of those uh, Disney Channel original movies that actually I really enjoy. But uh, yeah, he's he's certainly no Tom Hanks, or yeah. Tim Allen. So for sure. 
But, uh, you know, he, he does fine. I actually liked his work in this movie. And then, you know, we mentioned Julie Louis-Dreyfus. Kevin Spacey, I think, is really good. He does have that menacing voice yeah. and tone, um, which is – it's interesting. Like, it's really good casting, I think, because Kevin Spacey during the 90s was known for kind of the the heavy in the movies. Like, he would, he would typically play, like, the big bad or whatever. Um, right. And so – you know, it, it really works. Um, and then I guess the year after this, when he did American Beauty, I mean, that that's a total shift <laughs> tonally in performance. But, you know, I, I think he's a talented actor um, to say, you know, to avoid completely his, uh, who he is as a, as a person. But uh, as far as film and acting goes, I think he, he has a lot of talent and uh, I enjoy his work in this movie. Nice. Yeah, uh, Dave Foley's uh, voice acting kind of reminded me of Jerry Seinfeld's from B-Movie. He's mm. got just kind of like this high-pitched, like anxious kind of tone most yeah. of the time. So, I don't know. That yeah. just kind of reminded me of the whole movie. I was like, is this, it kind of, I was like, is this Jerry Seinfeld? Like, Mama? kind of reminded me of the B-Movie a lot of, <laughs> for some reason, but. Yeah, I was getting a little bit of David Spade from Emperor's New Groove mm. vibes. But uh, just, just the, with the tone of his voice, I get the pitch. Yeah. Um, so to speak. But cool. Um, any other random facts or trivia you want to throw out a good there? good piece of trivia. Cool. Uh, so apparently for A Bug's Life, Pixar animated stuff that was never actually in the final movie. And they released that for the teaser trailer. And I guess that's now like a staple of Pixar. So I'm kind of, I didn't know that before. Kind of interested to check out the trailer for this since we just watched it. And then mm-hmm. maybe as we go, look at the trailers and see kind of some of those differences. That'd be kind of interesting to do. And then I mean, yeah. we saw the Pizza Planet truck in this yeah. uh, from Toy Story. It's in yeah. every Pixar movie, so we'll be looking for those as we keep going. But it's true. Apparently yeah. some of them get really, really hard to find. <laughs> yeah, it was one of the earlier scenes where we were introduced to the circus, and there's kind of a super wide shot where we see how small the circus is. Uh, and in the background, there's a little shack house with the Pizza Planet truck parked next to it. Kind of in the shadow. You know, it's not in the main focus of the screen, which, you know, that truck in Pixar right. movies, it's it's usually obscured, you know, for the really diligent fans. Uh, and I know, like you said, most of them are going to be pretty difficult to find, but I am on the lookout. Yeah. So that's one little Easter egg to find in all these. Um, I really liked, actually... Uh, we mentioned the cool design of the world. I thought it was really neat how they showed us the inside of an ant colony. Yeah. Like that's something that humans pretty much never see unless you get one of those ant farms, but Mm. it looks totally different in this movie from what you might expect. There's cool, uh, trails that wind around, uh, the inside of this tree and there's all these caves with the... What is it? Bioluminescent yeah, mushrooms. Yeah, like glowing mushrooms. That was really cool. Yeah. Nice looking uh, set design there. Um, and that, that was something I liked. And then there's a lot of showbiz parallels here. Obviously, the circus right. performers. There's just a lot of, like we said, they are not so much pretending to be uh, warriors, but the ants certainly think that they're warriors. And none of the phrases they say give them away because... In showbiz, there's a lot of, like, I guess, violent terms. Like, she says, break a leg, and then 
And the ladybug is like, when these mm. grasshoppers, we're going to knock them dead. Yeah. Like that's, those are just phrases that you say, like if you're a theater performer or, you know, whatever. And, uh, it's just kind of ironic in that way that, you know, they're talking about something totally different than the ants think they're talking about. And I think at one point, uh, when I think it's Bonnie Hunt's character, the spider, I think she says break a leg and Ada is like, wow, you're so intense or something. Like yeah. she was like in awe of like how aggressive that statement is. But you know, the character was just meaning like, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Some good doses of irony. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Uh, do you want to give a little star rating for this bad boy? Do you have any idea what you're going to rate it? <laughs> uh, probably three, three and a half range. Nice. Haven't fully decided, but probably sitting around there. Yeah, nice. On I the think, Pixar scale. Yeah, I think I'm probably going to go three stars. Maybe nice. two maybe two and a half. Um, just to be like an even mix. Yeah. Mixed on the movie. I'd say I'm definitely more favorable on it this time, uh, like I mentioned at the start. But Cool. That's A Bug's Life. Yes. That was fun. Next week, or <laughs> next month, Toy Story 2. Yes. I don't know what the next one is after that, actually. It's Monsters, awesome. Inc., honestly. I believe. It's the fourth. I've actually never seen that one, so. Cool. That'd yeah, we're in for a treat. There's going to be some of these Pixar movies we haven't seen. Um, some of them we've seen a lot, yeah. you know, as we get to some of the later ones, like uh, Inside Out or Up. Right. Like, I've definitely seen those a few times, but some of them I've never seen. Brave. Cars 2 or 3. I've never seen any of the Cars, any of the Incredibles, either two of those. Wow, um, you haven't seen the first Incredibles? Nope. This will be fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and that comes after Monsters, Inc., I oh, believe. Oh, awesome. No, Finding Nemo. Uh, okay, I've and seen that Incredibles. Incredibles so. Yeah. Cool. Yep, that's The Bug's Life. So now we'll go on to what's entertaining you this week. Cool. All right, I will start here. Um, probably... I'll just go ahead and start off with Snowpiercer. I alluded to that earlier and its connection to A Bug's Life. And I did really like this movie. Uh, It's obviously directed by Bong Joon-ho, you know, best director of 2019, according to the Academy. And, uh, you know, Parasite winning best picture. I think it won best screenplay, original screenplay. Um, and it, it won another one. I know it won four. Best foreign feature. Best foreign, best international, best picture. Yeah, best international feature film. Anyway, Snowpiercer came out in 2013. Uh, it has a lot of similar themes at play about class and, you know, the struggle between the lower class and the upper class. Uh, I felt like this one, while not as nuanced as Parasite, definitely had its strengths. Uh, you know... I think you watched this, and you might have even talked about it on the show. I think I recommended it on the Toy Story one, actually. Maybe, yeah. Um, you said, like, it's hard to not compare it to Parasite, and I'm definitely trying not to do that. Yeah. Um, but, again, there's so many similar themes. Uh, you got Chris Evans. You've got Song Kang Ho, a Bong Joon-ho, you know, yes. staple. And uh, Tilda Swinton, probably my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, dude, she's weird. She's super weird. I love her because she is so weird in like everything she does uh and she's great in everything she's kind of a bong joon ho regular too she was in okja so oh yeah yeah cool 
I need to see that still. Mm. This is only my second Bong film, so you know I'm I'm excited to keep digging into his filmography. I've heard great things about The Host and Memories yeah. of Murder, mm. uh, and I think Memories of Murder is coming to the Criterion Collection, uh, as well so, as yeah. as well as Parasite later this year. But uh, the rest of his movies I've heard are very much worthwhile. So interested in checking those out and apparently now streaming on hulu yes a few of them are i watched snowpiercer on netflix um so if you're out there in quarantine and you want a good movie it's about two and a half hours of action it's pretty bloody you know pretty intense but there's a lot of really interesting like i said themes at play there um so that's snowpiercer uh what's your first pick sweet okay this is good because it actually connects in a couple ways here cool so this movie is another one about class. It's a little bit more subtle, um, maybe. I mean, I would say it's more subtle. Definitely more subtle than Parasite or even Snowpiercer. But it's directed by one of the greats from Japan who directed another movie, which we talked about already in this episode. <laughs> this is Ooh. Akira Kurosawa's High and Low from 1963. So this one, I watched this on the Criterion channel. It's about 2 hours and 40 minutes, 2 hours and 50 minutes. Um, I don't know why I was surprised that this was really good, because, of course, Kurosawa is a legend. Uh, I haven't checked out very many samurai movies. I don't know if I'm big into that yet. I know you watched uh, Yojimbo, mm-hmm. but we watched Seven Samurai. I liked that. I liked that. I, I liked it. <laughs> I don't know what I was going to say. I liked it, but I, th- I really liked High and Low. Um, I think the way Kurosawa presents the class differences based on physical height was similar to how Bong Joon-ho did it in Parasite. Right. But, uh, the cool thing about this movie is also kind of how it mixes all these genres. It goes from like a family drama to a police procedural and it's got this cool investigation that's running through it the whole time. It's really interesting. Uh, everything from the blocking to the writing to, uh, the just the basic story is thrilling and kept him engaged the whole time. Super fun time. Uh, highly recommend it. Nice. And yeah, it's a good one. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I know this is A Bug's Life, which is a kid's movie, you know, <laughs> family-friendly at the very least, and it's fun and, you know, happy. Uh, but I watched this movie this week, and I feel like I just have to talk about it. Uh, I heard about this from... YouTuber sensation Daisuke Beppu, who is a pretty awesome collector of physical media. He owns literally the entire Criterion Collection, (laughs) which is over a thousand uh, spine numbers now. He owns a lot of other uh, labels as well. But uh, anyway, I was watching one of his videos where he literally just shows every single uh, (laughs) Criterion movie. And uh, it's one of those I like to maybe fall asleep, take a nap to. Just, you know, I like to look at the different covers. But he pointed out this movie and he stopped for a second. Instead of carrying on to the next movie, he stopped and said, I apologize for making this sound like it's just a product or, you know, just another film. He said this is one of the most important films ever made and he really stressed that point dude when he says that it's intense yeah with all the seriousness that this man can muster he said this is the one of the most important movies ever made and uh after watching it i might have to agree it's called night and fog by and i hope i'm pronouncing this right elaine renee 
he's a French guy. Um, so 10 years after the end of World War II, he was allowed to go into some of these concentration camps that the Nazis ran and film in there. And uh, he had a lot of archival footage as well. And he spliced all of these together uh, to a 30-minute documentary essay film. And it's only 30 minutes, but it, it feels like so much more than that. And I'm not talking about just length, but just the grandeur mm. um, on one end and then the horror, obviously, on the other end. Um, you know, these camps were uh, housing some of the the most uh, horrible atrocities that humankind has ever, you know, been able to um, stoop so low to achieve, I guess. But, uh, and it was just really, really interesting. It was a, it was a new look inside something that I felt like I already knew most everything about. Um, and it had a lot to say about, I mean, this was 55 or 56, but it had a lot to say about I was thinking about today and, you know, the state of the world, I guess, and just kind of made me think about myself. Um, he asks a few questions at the end that are really profound and really kind of make you think. It's been stuck in my head for several days since I watched it. And, uh, yeah, really, really glad I saw this. It's called Night and Fog. So I highly recommend everyone needs to go out and see it. I know it's heavy, it's super dark. Um, there is footage that the Nazis shot in these camps and uh, some of the stuff, like, I don't know, like it's some of the most like intense stuff that I've ever seen. But, uh, you know, I agree with Mr. Beppu and that it's a really, really important film and uh, needs to be seen by anyone and everyone. So check it out. Nice. Yeah, I'm really glad you watched that because I've really been meaning to watch that uh, it's been, it's like pretty high on my watch list on Letterboxd, so I've recently added it, but it's kind of in my list of short films to discover because it's like the second highest rated short film on Letterboxd. Mm. So it's like right after, uh, Lana Del Rey music video. So that's weird. kind of, <laughs> kind of weird. I don't know how yeah. that goes over, but <laughs> anyways, that's, that's awesome. Cool. Uh, yeah. Um, did you do one or just two? I think you had one. I did one, so okay. I'll do I'll do one more. Cool. So also, again, this is a book's life, but <laughs> I have kind of a violent movie here to recommend a, a more mature movie. But this comes from France from the nineties. Uh, it's one of the most interesting movies I've watched in a long time, and one of the ones I've loved the most uh, in a while. Um, it's just such a strange experience. I've heard it related to like a Wes Anderson movie, but just more dark. They kind of just explore the darker sides of things a little bit more. But visually, it was amazing. The colors, uh, the insane, unique camera work. It just oozes its own style. It uh, had all these interesting, quirky characters that were so weird and there's sets for each one and color coded almost in a way. But they all live under this post-apocalyptic, cannibalistic roof. Um, this is Delicatessen. It's directed by two Frenchmen, Jean-Pierre Genet and Marc Caro. I think I pronounced those semi-correctly. But um, they've done a couple other works that are pretty famous. But this one was so good, I hadn't really heard about this anywhere. It was 
kind of like a self-discovery, which is maybe why I liked it so much. Um, I just, I think I saw it on some sort of collection on the Criterion channel, added it to my list, and then I finally, I think it was leaving at the end of this month, so I wanted to watch it, um, kind of in the mood, and highly recommend. Uh, like I said, it's post-apocalyptic, it's pretty dark, it involves some cannibalism, it involves some violence, uh, but it's just like super stylistic, super cool. It's like really interesting how it mixes kind of that violence with super stylish, like Wes Anderson-esque like colors and all that. It's really, really good. Nice. I definitely want to check that one out at some point. You know, yeah. we talked about this recently that like that's kind of on my list, but it's really far down. Yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> just higher priority stuff I got to get to first. Totally. But uh, cool. Uh, you know, I was thinking about it and it's probably not the best idea to uh, keep putting out these super hardcore movies uh in an episode about a you know family movie so for my last one i'm gonna talk about a movie i saw by charlie chaplin it's the kid nice 1921 it's his first feature film and i really really liked it actually um it has a lot of humor it has a lot of heart and it even has some moments of heartbreak you know um chaplin these are kind of his staples like he kind of goes for these things every time. Obviously, he's a comedian. That's kind of the first and foremost thing people will think about. Um, but his character, the little tramp, which is more or less introduced in this film, uh, is the most genuine, you know, lovable, heartwarming character that you've probably ever seen on film. He's the best. Um, he's raising this orphan boy. Um, it, it shows him as he first discovers the child, and then most of the movie takes place while the kid's about five years old and just like the adventures and the trouble that they get themselves into. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it's funny and there's a lot of interesting, um, I guess innovative techniques going on here for 1921. Yeah. And you know, they, they have a lot of moments of like challenging life. It's definitely depicting a more downtrodden, you know, poverty stricken America, but they these characters like never really stop laughing throughout the movie you know they're having a lot of fun with their day-to-day -day life uh, despite some of the grander challenges that they're facing um, and you know I think Chaplin's films are, are just perfect for anyone kind of looking to escape that doom and gloom of today's world or you know maybe you watch something heavy like Night and Fog like I did and you just needed something to you know, cheer you back up a little. And Chaplin is probably one of the best things for that uh, to remedy. And so, you know, it's it's almost 100 years since this movie came out. Wow. Quite amazing. Um, I'm really excited for, you know, some of these centennial anniversaries for great films uh, like The Kid. And I think that it not only holds up, but it, it almost continues to be more meaningful, you know, as time progresses. So check it out. It's The Kid. This and Night and Fog are available on the Criterion channel. If you're looking to stream stuff, I think you can get like a two-week trial. Yeah, get a two-week free trial. Watch all kinds of stuff. You know, it's only like 11 bucks a month, and there's so much content on there. Yeah. So much, and it's some of the best worldwide cinema of all time. You know, we, we stress it probably way <laughs> too much how great the Criterion Collection is as a company. Putting out these important films from all over the world, giving them a spotlight, and... You know, the streaming platform that they have is just one way, makes it a little bit easier for people like us to discover 
um, to discover stuff like that. So couldn't agree more with all that. Cool. Uh, love the kid, love the Criterion collection and, uh, yeah, right on. Nice. And on that happy note, uh, that's the end of the show. Um, what are we discussing next week, Burrow? Next week's episode is the continuation of last month's Five from the 50s, but this time we are bringing back uh, Six from the 60s. Uh, if you want to go back in time and listen to our earlier episodes, those can all be found at brohaveyouseen.captivate.fm. Yeah, and all of our episodes can be downloaded on iTunes and Spotify. And please take a second to give us a five-star rating, write a review on iTunes. You have no idea how much it helps us grow the show and reach new listeners. And if you have any feedback, any at all, about the show, mm-hmm. please let us know in your iTunes review, or you can email us, podcast at gmail.com. Definitely, bro. Uh, each new episode is posted at 6 a.m. on Fridays. That's Mountain, Mountain Standard Time. If you want to see what else is entertaining us, uh, check me out on Letterboxd at Barn Clark. Yeah, and I'm at Everett Clark 236. Uh, see you next week, bro. See ya.